Turn with me in your Bible to Hosea 4. Not to disappoint Bob, but I'm only going to make it through chapter 4. <laughs> I got so depressed. I got so t- discouraged <laughs> looking through chapter 4. It's about judgment. I mean, who likes to, to read about judgment? It's one of the more difficult things to preach on. Guilty before God. I mean, that's a terrible place to be. Let's read through the chapter here, and then we'll pull out some stuff that at least will be relevant for ourselves and um, put the fear of God in us that we not appear before him that way. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land by swearing and lying, killing and stealing, committing adultery. They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day. The prophet shall stumble with you in the night. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because they, you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me, I will change their glory into shame. For they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols. Their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. And they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills, under the oaks, poplars, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry, your brides commit adultery. And I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with the harlots and offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go to Bethavon. Nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives, for Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn calf. And now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in the open country. Ephraim has joined to idols. Let her alone. Let them alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings. 
and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Amen. Oh, could you imagine being a prophet and delivering this message? I mean, this is tough. This is a tough passage. You can see why I stopped at chapter (laughs) 4. It's just brutal. The rebellion and the blindness that had set in on these people. Now remember, Hosea had to marry this harlot. And his marriage is a personification of what's going on in the nation. And what's ironic is you would think with all this sin that, they would, that God would just strip them bare and forsake them and let their enemies come in and just wipe them out, right? Actually, that's not what was going on in the, in the nation. This is Jeroboam 2, his reign. And this is actually a time of incredible prosperity. There, there was other things going around in Assyria. They were down and allowed them to, to have control of the trade routes. And, if you, and when you could control the trade routes, you could prosper. And you, can, you, you, you have extra income you probably didn't, weren't counting on. And so there was a, this is a time of Jonah. Jonah prophesied, uh, as we read in Kings there, uh, that there would be this enlarging of their borders. Uh, but we've got to go back and understand kind of how they got into this predicament. Um, Jeroboam 1 allowed, and this would be uh, <clears throat> 1 Kings 12, when he was putting this together, he, he said, look, I can't have these people going up to Jerusalem because if they do that, they're going to be joined back to, to Yahweh. And, and then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, will, will they'll follow him and then they'll kill me. So you can't have that. So he set up this whole false religionist calf worship. And it says that he gathered priests from every class. So we don't just have the Levites. I mean, the priests are, hey, you want to join the ministry? <laughs> Pretty much what was going on. And so you can understand how uh, the leadership of the nation goes, so goes the people. But as he begins this, what we can at least glean from this, something that's very important, how he begins this message. He is proclaiming this message. He lives in Ephraim, which is near Judah. Ephraim is another uh, name for the entire 10 northern tribes. But he's speaking there uh, at the, you know, to the voice of the leadership uh, so they, they can hear. Uh, but he says, hear the word of the Lord. If you don't hear it, which the idea is to take heed to what's being said, uh, you're just going to miss it completely. And this has been going on for years. That is the most important thing in our lives. If you do not consider the hearing of the Word of God, taking heed to it, spending time with it, making it a priority in your life, you'll end up, in one way or another, guilty before God. You will fall, and you will not be as prosperous in your walk as you should be. The Word of God is the only thing that can preserve us and keep us. Jesus put a tremendous emphasis on the Word of God. He said to the disciples, you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to God's word. It is what the Holy Spirit uses in our life to sanctify us and set us apart. How are you, if you go a day or two days or let's say even longer than that, 
how do you begin to feel spiritually? You just not, it's just, you feel a little differently than you would coming out of a service where you've just worshiped the Lord and you've heard a good message and it's just blessed you. You don't feel that way after you've missed the word for three or four days, do you? Something needs to be washed and cleansed. We need a continual flow of God's word in our life. It's what, it really is what makes us spiritually aware of our condition. So as you're taking in the word, truth, your conscience is made aware of where you may have crossed the line, or if it said this or done that or thought that, you're, you're immediately arrested and you can deal with it and you stay on that highway of holiness. And holiness, in this sense, means setting yourself apart unto the Lord. It is through the word that we gain knowledge. Remember, uh, this is the end of last week. We tied chapter 3 and the first three verses of chapter 6 together because they go together. And sandwiched in between these two chapters of judgment and, and explaining um, this legal case that the Lord has against Israel. Uh, but at the end of chapter 6, we read, Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter rain and the former rain. You know, this is, this is what the knowledge of God causes you and I to repent. It's what causes us to turn. I mean, let's just think about this for a moment. It is very difficult. In fact, it's impossible for us to take in the magnitude of God's being. But he makes some incredible statements. And when you think about God never, ever exaggerates. You know, we know that that's lying. If you exaggerate, that's a form of lying. We don't really think about it, but it, it really is. So when God says, my thoughts towards you are more than the, all the grains of the sands on the seashores. Now you think about how many people have ever been born, which is quite a few and each one of them individually, God's thoughts towards them, towards you, towards me. We're in, all in this together, right? Individually, the thoughts that God has towards you are more than the grains of the sands of the seashore. Well, if you, don't, if you get bored, you don't have much to do, just uh, get a teaspoon and take a scoop of sand and then put it on the table and then start sorting it out. And start counting them. Now, I don't know how many seashores there are, but I got a feeling that there's an innumerable number of grains of sand on the seashores. So what does that say about our God? It's hard to get your mind around it, isn't it? He's an awesome God. He's an incredible God. He doesn't exaggerate. He's taking care of us. The song, that last song we sang in particular... His love for us is incredible. And this is really, even in judgment, God is showing mercy. He's allowing them to eat. He's allowing them to prosper. He's hoping they will listen to the message of the prophets, that they will turn and repent. If they really had the knowledge of God, they would really repent. I believe that a number of them would have repented, but why weren't they getting the word of God? It was a problem with the priesthood. There was no truth, as we've read. There's no mercy. You can't get delivered from sin without truth. You know, what did Jesus say about the truth? It will set you. No truth? 
No freedom. It's utter enslavement and bondage. No mercy. Just complete ignorance of God. The love of God had been vacated. The nation was emptied of the love of God. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around judgmental people. I don't like to be judged. Therefore, I don't, want to, I don't like judging other people. I mean, to each his own type of thing. When you feel hated and rejected, that is one of the most worst feelings you could ever feel. I listened to an interview not too long ago. Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in The Passion, is a true brother in the Lord. And he was praying through that acting uh, job of, uh, in uh, The Passion. And he was praying and asking the Lord to really make it like it really was. How was it really for you, Lord, on the cross? I want to be in that with you. And he, I need you to be closer. He just kept saying, I need you to be closer. You're not close enough, Lord. I need you to be closer. And, and then the Lord spoke to his heart and said, if I do that, you're not going to like me. He broke. I mean, he just, you know, if, for those of you who break under the presence of the Lord, when he, he touches your spirit, you just, you, you just whew, there's no words. You can't, you, you, you can't speak. And he had that moment. And, what he, and God answered that to, the, to some degree anyway. And what he felt when he was doing that scene was the utter hatred of the world against him. Children, men, women, the demonic world, he, all that hatred he felt. And he, it just, it took him back. And I was thinking, you know, you just think how the Lord was hated by the, those who don't know him. And he took that without reacting in wrath. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he stayed on that cross until it was finished. Wow. I mean, this is just... These people did not understand. Israel did not understand. The people who live in sin, I did not understand the love of God. But let's look at the guilt. You you talk about the Ten Commandments being broken. I mean, I don't think they left one of them undone. They broke them all. They were pronouncing curses, lying, deceiving one another, so there's no truth, no mercy. They were murdering. There's two different words, uh, at least, kill and murder in English, and so there's two of those, two different words are in Hebrew as well. Murder is uh, rashak, that's the our Hebrew student here, uh, is murder. It's taking life without justice in an unjust way. Uh, there is the taking of life. So when the commandment says, thou shall not kill, it's talking about thou shall not murder. There is the taking of life when they have been guilty of taking life unjustly, the death penalty. There's a taking of sacrificial life, animal life. Those are things that are allowed, but there still has to be in that an understanding that life itself is sacred. And I butchered a couple chickens last weekend. 
Fear not, they were roosters. <laughs> Too many of them. You know, and I, they're mean. And so there was a part of me that's like, it's judgment day. You know, the wrath. You know, you deserve what you're going to get here, you know. And, but then after I, you know, did that, there was, there's, there's still, the, inside there's remorse. I don't like to kill animals. I don't like to kill anything except for something if I'm going to eat it or something like that. But just, just to kill something, to kill it and leave it lay, I mean, that's just, that's not honoring life. We're to honor life. And I think that's very important. But when we see this bloodshed going on, bloodshed upon bloodshed, as we read there in verse 2, it's just, we're, this is stuff that's going right on before our eyes all over the world. Not just in Israel, what they're doing. That's, that's happening everywhere. This is, the stuff that's happening in Israel has been going on in Africa for generations. Will it wash ashore here? Possibly. What's going on in Chicago? It's going on in St. Louis. I mean, come on. We act like, oh, it only happens somewhere else. I mean, we just opened up our eyes here. We're doing all these things. Stealing. I mean, people just walk into the stores and walk out, and there's no you know, penalty for that. It's just unbelievable. As well, as long as it's under $1,000, they can't do anything about it. Really? So that's why you and I have to pay double what we would normally have to pay to these stores because who's really paying for it? You know, us who buy things honestly, right? So stealing, taking what doesn't belong to them through deception, committing adultery, just unfaithfulness. And seriously, that is just the hardness of heart. People do those things because they've, they're hardened they've, their hearts and they're unforgiving. There's no restraints, no self-control. This is Romans 1. You want another you know, commentary on this passage here. Bloodshed, wounding and killing people, just a refusal to obey the Ten Commandments. But there's a, there's a harvest. There's a judgment coming, as we've said before. God, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And that's the thing. It, he, said, he starts that verse right, be not deceived. Because people can be deceived into thinking, you know what? God hasn't, done, hasn't struck me with lightning yet. It's dark. Nobody sees what I'm doing. I'm getting away with it. The light and the dark are the same to God, are they not? He sees it all. He knows it all. And so the land and the people who live like this are not going to be happy. I remember years ago, before I became a Christian, there was a young lady. She was living, having a, she was a mistress. And she actually was my beautician, she'd cut my hair, and she, she was having this affair, and I never said anything about it, I wasn't going to bring it up to her, even as a non-Christian, it was none of my business, but it was quite uh, known, and then we had this conversation, she's saying she, she just couldn't believe all these bad things were happening in her life, and and of course, I didn't have any, <laughs> I had no space to talk <laughs> the way I was living at the time. And it's kind of nodded like, you know, people that live in sin have no idea why all these calamities are happening in their lives and why they're so full of sorrow and there's no happiness in their life and they're trying to fill it with whatever. 
You know, this is what it says in verse 11. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. They're in such bondage they cannot, they just don't understand. This, this situation in this country, in, in northern ten tribes, the land was even affected. I mean, look, at, it says there, you know, the fish in the sea are taken away. God, God was going to strip them of their abundance. And this is something that happens. You think we sin in a corner? A country sins in a corner and we're going to... It only affects the people that are sinning. We have a bunch of sinners leading our country. Would you say that that's fair? We're all sinners, right? But at least some of us have been washed and saved. But we have unrepentant sinners leading this nation. They can continue to sin. Will it affect our lives? Absolutely. It's affecting our lives. So nobody sins in a corner. And failure to deal with it will bring the harvest that we're not going to like. But he puts it upon the prophets. He puts it upon the priest. Now, the problem with these guys is most of these guys were not called to the ministry, so to speak. They had no business representing God. They were not representing Yahweh, right? Because it was a false system. I mean, they worshiping the calf. So, now, it says they're contending with the priest. What was the rule of thumb? If you had a dispute, they were the judges as well as the priests. So if you had a dispute with your neighbor, you'd go to the priest and he would sort it all out and make a judgment and you had to live with it. So they would, they're arguing with the priest about you know, what's going down and, well, you know, and they just stand there and argue with him because they didn't like what he had to say. And then they actually just blame him for their problems. I mean, sound familiar? <laughs> you get, as a parent, you straighten out, you try to deal with rebellious children and you become the problem all of a sudden. It's like, wait, hold on here. You know, this is sort of what was going on. This blindness sets in. They stumble in the day. I mean, this is very descriptive of what was going on. Destruction awaits because they're unwilling to follow the ways of God. So what was the number one problem with the priesthood? Well, first of all, they weren't representing Yahweh. Secondly, they were not teaching them the people or instructing the people in the ways of God. You know, the problem with when people are sin-laden, you know who they become prey to? False prophets. That's why the false prophets in our country right now are prospering quite well. Because they're people are that, that don't know the truth and don't deal with the sin in their life are easy to guilt. And so these false prophets guilt people in to giving to their ministries. If you do this, you'll get that. So this is quite, actually, they looked at it as we read here. It's okay if the people sin because they know that if they sin, they got to bring an offering to the temple, our little form of worship here. And if they bring in the animals, we get to eat. Our families get to eat. So let's not address the sin issue here because actually we can prosper and do better by letting the people sin. Yeah, it's so messed up. But that's really what was going on here. That's what he's described here, as we've read. They forgot their duties before God. The role of a priest and the role of pastors is to teach and instruct the people. I can't help but 
I think that that's the problem in the church today, that in America, in the Western culture, there's too many professional pastors. They've gone into the seminary and they've learned how to read the Bible. They've learned how to teach from the Bible, but they don't pastor the flock. And they really don't, you know, the average guy from, this is from a seminary teacher who taught his pupils, major, pick five subjects, and you major on those, and that's your ministry. Just stick with those five things throughout your whole ministry. How simple, how wrong. The people played the whore, and God's going to judge them for it. He's going to let them be enslaved by their alcohol, verse 11. He's going to let them bow down to their carved images. Just think how ridiculous this is. Isaiah 44, 15 through 20 reads this way. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. And with this half, he eats meat. He roasts and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me. You are my god. They do not know or understand. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it with fire. Yes, I have baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, and deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? I mean, Isaiah goes on, but that's just a portion. I mean, this is the imbeciles, the blindness that sets in. Verse 13, as we've come to an end here, it's just like some of this, it's too much, man. Oof. Uh, the mountaintops, uh, they worshipped on the mountaintops. Those are the place. They were, in the ancient times, uh, they looked at the mountains as the place where the gods dwelled. I mean, you'd be just in mythology, but there's other things there. You're, these high places were, which were um, highly, ele- you know, valid, highly elevated places that were unreachable, generally speaking. And so if, the higher you could get, the closer you, the eye thought was that you would be closer to God. You know, you get closer, closer to the heaven so that you can hear God better type of thing. And we know that these are just um, demons, little G gods that they were worshiping. Um, the practices that were going on, the uh, committing of adulteries we've read there, uh, going aside, so is the word in Hebrew is the word divide, uh, it, it's an euphemism for sexual relationships. So this is the idol worship. This is uh, sacrificing to the Canaanite god of fertility. And so they adopted all these pagan practices within the nation of Israel, the ten tribes there. So it's just um, 
just a bad situation. Now, this is even before Jeremiah. This is still, the, you know, Jeremiah is a hundred and some years later at the end of Judah. But, you know, they lasted another 150 years longer than the nation of, uh, the ten nations of Israel to the north. And it was bad then. Could you imagine the pain and the sorrow of trying to walk with God, trying to be faithful to God? You know, this is kind of the time we're living in. You know, are we going to, you know, this is what, this is the thing that God looks for more than anything else is loyalty. When you worship a false God and you worship the enemy, that is the most abominable act that you can commit against your creator, the one who made us, the one who designed us for his purpose. And for these people to, to be worshiping these false gods and these idols was just, he gave them over to it. He closes with Israel, stubborn. And then it says in verse 19, the wind has wrapped her up in its wings. They're out of control. They're just out of control. There's no end to the judgment that they're going to face. And it continues on into chapter 5, which we'll stop. Because I can only take so much. <laughs> it's just rough sledding through some of this, isn't it? But it just, to me, as we go to spend some time in prayer, it, 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 I'm a, I have a heavy heart for our country. I have a, obviously a very heavy heart for what's going on in Israel right now. Don't believe everything you read or everything you hear. Even from the people who are, you know, there's people right now who just want to use this situation to help their ministries. They've got the inside knowledge of what's really going on in Israel. And is this the last? I don't know. Is the Lord going to come? Is the rapture going to take place? Hopefully. Hopefully. You know, hopefully. But I mean, what are we supposed to do? Watch and pray. Be ready. Do business. Occupy till it comes. Let's keep our hand to the plow. Keep doing what we know we're supposed to do. If the Lord comes, we're gonna we're gonna not gonna be ashamed. We're gonna have an abundant entrance into His kingdom with fullness of joy because we've been walking as we're supposed to. We're not gonna get caught up in all this. You know, because what I found in my own life over all the years, and I've gone, I've you know, kind of gotten away from it, is I would get focused on that, and I'd be spending a whole lot of time, and then it didn't pan out. I thought I had it all figured out. You know, well, of course, man, let's, let's just sit back and watch and wait until it happens, right? That's, that's what I've seen happen with people who get caught up in prophecy. They stop being active in the ministry of evangelism and doing some of the things that should be done. Look, this thing that we grew up with was newspaper in one hand, Bible in the other. I come to disassociate myself from that because what that is is you're trying to fit this thousands of year old knowledge and prophetic utterance into your lifetime? Really? It's going to happen in your day? Maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. And what have you done with all that time? What could have you have done with all that time you spent trying to fit, fit it into your little 
prophetic you know, timetable, what could have you gotten done of great benefit had you given your same amount of time to that activity versus spending it? I've got friends. I've got a friend. He's, he's a friend. He's mad at me right now. <laughs> he spent, a, literally, he has spent his lifetime studying prophecy. He writes all the time, sends me stuff all the time. I, I can't keep up with it. I don't really read it. He, he, he probably knows I don't read it. I, he doesn't agree with me in a lot of things, and that's fine. But he's been doing this for the 30-some years that I've known him. You know, have you reached, how many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you baptized? How many people have you, know, have you instructed in the way? You know, this is the kind of thing. So I love prophecy. But I just think it's important that we keep a balance. And the Lord's coming. I'm not going to lose sight of the hope and the glory, right? But I'm going to occupy till he comes. So I think that's the balance. But let's pray for our 